makes it possible. Please make a donation today at RadioFreeBrooklyn.org. Welcome to the Truth to Power Show on Radio Free Brooklyn. I'm your host, Vijar Nathan, and we air every Monday at 8 a.m. And we it's the show where we put a weekly guest in the proverbial meditation cushion, discuss uh, their personal truths and how they how it empowers them. So today's guest is Samantha Echo. She is a fairy winged native New Yorker and longtime music under the New York under New York performer. Uh, Samantha Echo has been performing since the age of seven and has released three EPs of original songs. Noted for her entertaining stage banter and her versatility with a repertoire that includes opera, theater, folk, and pop, Smith has a musical style that can be described as somewhere between dangerous and whimsy. I love that. Uh, that's from Unknown Nobodies, Jack uh, Murray. And her music video, Nick's Mom, which combines elements of fairy tale, uh, neuro crime drama, and tragic comic psychological portraits has been critically claimed as the most beautiful nuanced piece of work of our time. Uh, that's from Ruby McAllister on the ZZ fan club. She's been featured on CBS two ABC world news. Now CUNY TV arts in the city and Atlantic monthly performs regularly in New York venues, such as the bitter end, the West end lounge and Parkside lounge. Welcome Samantha. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you. So why don't we start off with your, we, we introduced you with some interesting um, like accolades and interesting ways of describing your music. So why don't we start with your music? We're going to be listening to actual song in about 20 minutes or so, mm-hmm. but why don't you start off by just uh, telling us a little bit about your EPs and, and what your themes are. Oh, well, okay. So I think um, my songs are very autobiographical, but people have told me that um, that they're easy to identify with also. One of the main themes that runs through my songs is arrested development. Mm-hmm. I sort of I feel like I developed in a really unusual way. In some ways, I was a really precocious child. And then as a teenager, I sort of hit this plateau and I didn't know what to do with myself. And so a lot of my songs deal with sort of the themes of of being othered in, in developmentally of sort of like being like this um this eternal child, almost like a Peter Pan complex, but a, a female's perspective. And also with like um, insecurities about my sexuality and um, unrequited love and loneliness. So very, very personal type of themes. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. And it's like, it's I like the idea of bringing in all these different uh, genre influences. So let's talk about your genre influences. So uh, you start, I guess you're trained in the operatic uh, mm-hmm. styles. Tell us a little bit about how that informs you. Um, yeah. So when I was a kid, I actually, taught myself um i always tell the story i taught myself how to sing i was basically self-taught when i was six um i was kind of a loner and the um i was watching the movie pocahontas and i would just imitate the way judy kuhn who's the voice the singing voice of pocahontas would sing colors of the wind which i think should replace the national anthem by the way Uh. (laughs) but um and i would just imitate her and try to sound like an adult and a you know disney princess and I sort of I started to develop this very adult sound and then people noticed like I would sing for the adults around me and my parents um, sent me to take classical music training, um, which I basically I studied classical music um, for about, I think, I think 10 years, like a a really long time, um, you know, from childhood into early adulthood. And then um, a few years ago, I decided to transition into pop just because I sort of I started writing um, my own songs several years ago. And I found that, like I said, when I was a teenager, I, 
I was in kind of an abusive relationship with my singing teacher. Mm. Like she was kind of very, um, just very controlling and very old school. And she literally um, wouldn't let me sing for people informally. Like she like every time I opened my mouth, she like insisted on being there and she wouldn't let me sing any other genres besides opera. And she was just kind of like a very critical person of my personality and kind of expected me to behave like an adult when I was a child. And so I felt like just I became really jaded when I was when I turned 13 or whatever. And like finding my songwriting voice as an adult kind of helped me get back my um, my musical mojo and my sense of myself as an artist. Because like there was a period between like the ages of um, of 14 and 20 where I felt like I was a singer, but I wasn't an artist. And so my um, my journey has sort of been um, like finding finding where singer and artist converge again and finding my voice again. And that's actually where I, um, I came up with my stage name echo, Samantha echo. Cause it's from Greek mythology. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah. Cool. Cool. And then, uh, you also bring in, uh, some, uh, New York crime drama. Tell us a bit of how that plays into. Oh it. yeah. So this, um, this plays into the, um, the arrested development theme in the, in the video of Nick's mom, which, um, I recommend to everybody. Um, it's yeah. Samantha echo, Nick's mom, just type it into YouTube. I sort of, I'm, it's, it begins with me looking at um, a conspiracy style crime board with like with pins and string and basically and it says suspects in the murder of Samantha's innocence and psychological yeah. well-being yeah. Um, and all the suspects are me at different ages. So it's kind of like a metaphor for what went wrong in my development and how I became so stunted. Uh-huh. And so it's like it shows me like at, at different ages and says different things about about me at that age and trying to like unravel um, the mystery of who I am. Oh, cool. cool. Yeah. I like that. I like that aspect of it. And I like the um, the kind of deeper truth that's there. A lot of times people will be like pointing fingers and blaming other people. So right, exactly. it's like the deeper yeah. truth of understanding how we're taking responsibility for our life and we're taking responsibility and not pushing yeah. away from the victim complex. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of. It's just, it could also go the other way. It could also be like, I'm putting too much blame on uh, myself. Yeah. It could be like both, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. And then, uh, so let's talk a little bit about kind of your faith based, uh, training and wh- where you're coming from as far as like, um, growing up and how you developed into your, uh, current belief systems. Um, so right now, I mean, I don't identify with any particular faith. Um, it's interesting because I, I, I sort of came up with this yesterday. I've always felt I wasn't raised religious at all. And my, my parents both identify as agnostic, which is fine. Like I'm not. Um, and I'm glad that they didn't raise me particularly religious. I'm of as far as I know, I'm of about 100 percent Jewish heritage. Yeah. But basically, um, my family came here in the late 1800s, um, early 1900s, and they very much assimilated and secularized. Um, which is fine. And it's interesting because my mom, my parents raised me Jewish, but like not, we would just, we would do the big holidays. Like we do Passover and Hanukkah and we wouldn't really go to synagogue or or talk about God that much. And they sort of, they, you know, they were open with me, which I appreciate. They were like, well, we don't really know if we believe in God or not. We sort of just like, we don't know what happens after we die. It's like, it's a question, but you know, we're not really into that. Um, yeah. And it's interesting because my mom, there are a lot of Orthodox Jews in my neighborhood. It's I live in Washington Heights. I born and raised. And um, my like my mom actually has a lot of um, like when I was growing up, she actually had a lot of close friends who were Orthodox. And I it kind of freaked me out, honestly. Um, I mean, some of them were really nice and really like really beautiful people. But there was one experience I had where I was um, I was friends with. Um, my mom's best friend who lives in Israel made friends with um, 
this other woman who lived in my neighborhood and she was going through a divorce and um, she was remarrying um, a, a new husband and he was kind of fanatical about about Orthodox Judaism. And he was mar- he was becoming the stepfather to these um, seven children that she had. I think there were about seven of them. Um, I was friends with them and he made them get rid of every single book that they had that wasn't religious. Oh, wow. And he made them get rid of all their um, dolls and all their toys. Like he basically purged the house of anything yeah. secular. And when I came over, like if I was wearing a short skirt or something, he would he would criticize me and he would say, like, you have to dress this. What you have to dress like yeah. we do when you come over. Um, he would say the same thing to my mom. And I was sort of like in a way um, I was like. I sort of had like a survivor guilt because I'm from the same heritage, but my parents didn't raise me that way. And I wasn't subjected to that kind of extremism. Um, And it was interesting because I I did feel sort of othered by my religion because there weren't that many other. I knew that like I felt like a minority because even though I was in a neighborhood with a lot of Jews. um, Well, first of all, I was like non-Orthodox among some Orthodox people. And second of all, like most people in my school were Christian. So I was sort of I was aware of myself as like a religious minority in a way, but it wasn't a huge deal. So my first experiences of like, you know, the two most common religions in the U.S., Judaism, Christianity, were not especially positive. Like I sort of got the sense of um, religion as kind of like a an old fashioned and kind of a, you know, an abuse of power in a way. Um, and I would just, you know, I wasn't like super judgmental, but that's how I felt. And then, but it was interesting because I always had this big spiritual thirst and it's like, especially I feel like I saw the divine in my dreams. Like I have specific dreams that I remember from when I was a kid, from when I was five that were just like super trippy. And I, I really felt like I saw another world in them. And I think there's always been this hunger in me to connect with the divine somehow, even if it's not through a traditional route. And the way I feel is that like, I feel like being human for me is almost claustrophobic. I feel like there's like, there's so much else out there inside my consciousness that I want to access. And I feel like being human, like we're just, it's like being in a very small room for 90 years or something like, (laughs) so I've always, it's interesting because my parents, you know, didn't, none none of the rest of my family felt this way. Like, but I had, I was sort of the one who had this spiritual hunger for something. And so it was interesting because when, um, this actually ties into my performance, um, uh, one of the aspects of my performance, which is that I wear fairy wings. When I was about 10 years old, my um, my friends and I made up our own religion, which was basically fairyism. And our theory was that we were like fairy spirits. We were like dual spirited. And we had um, there was another incarnation of us in on another planet that was like living a parallel life. That was a fairy mm. and that we were like secretly we were like kind of in a human disguise. And yeah. then I like I really like developed faith in that religion. And it's like. I sort of I access that I have fairy wings on my guitar and I like I wear fairy wings on stage. So it's actually like it's not just like a gimmick. It's like a spiritual thing that I went through. Yeah, nice. Nice. And you'd mentioned. Uh, so what what experiences do you often reflect on that were watershed moments in your own process? Um, well, when I was a teenager, like I said, I was um, I had a really difficult adolescence and I, I felt very lost. So my I joined a certain Buddhist sect. It was the, the Nichiren Shoshu sect. And um Shoshu actually means orthodox and oh. we would you know, we would chant in Sanskrit and um purify our karma and it was it was great like I really loved the um the practice and I felt good about doing it and then I sort of I saved up all my money at the time like I you know and we went on a pilgrimage to Japan to see the head temple and um 
and the the Daigo Hansen, which is like the holy scroll that talks about the law of cause and effect, the law of karma. And when I was there, like it was really beautiful. We stayed at the bottom of Mount Fuji. Mm. Um, we could like it looked like a photograph. Like it it looked it was so beautiful. It looked like it wasn't even real. And we stayed in these um traditional Chinese style um, temples with the you know the curly little roofs. I don't know what they're called. And it was beautiful. Um, I was only there for three days. My, it was my first trip abroad. Um, but there was a point where one of the priests was giving a, uh, a lecture and he said, our goal is to convert everybody in the world to this religion. Mm. And that's when I lost my faith. That's when I sort of had a crisis of faith. And I'm just like, I like this religion, but I don't do that. Like, that's just, just not. And I had to like go to the priest, like when I came back to New York and say like, I'm leaving. And he was really upset with me. Yeah. 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 I think definitely that, that, that zealotness, that idea to become a zealot yeah. uh, is like very much, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's a problem, you know, it's kind of mm. something that we want to kind of uh, see that other people have, you know, their, their own truth and we want to foster truth and not the specific manifestation of truth that's that we experience, but rather experience for people to grow from themselves, you know? Yeah. So have them foster and have them empowered to be able to grow their own truth. Exactly. So that we can share. Yeah. They're obviously coming from different perspectives. All the people come from different perspectives. Right. In different areas. Yeah. And in a way, like, it seems like a contradiction because people do, like, spirituality is all about truth. It's all about truth seeking. And it's it's hard to see how, like, your truth could be different from someone else's. But the way I see it, it's like the universe is so vast. And it's like we're just looking at different from different angles at the same sort of thing. Yeah, we're all experiencing. We're all looking at different angles and we're all experiencing things from different perspectives. So yeah. We should be able to honor that and and be able to, you know, experience the different aspects in, as real as real. And yeah. honor each other's truths, yeah. So, um, yeah, so how, now let's hype back to the music again as we start to uh, get prepare for a song. Yeah. Um, so now, what other what singers or songwriters started to influence you as you start to transition from uh, operatic or more classical into pop, or what, what were some of the uh, milestones that kind of helped you to help do that transition? Yeah. Um, well, I think, yeah, I think most of my influence was unconscious, but I guess I feel like influences tend to be subconscious. Like yeah. you sort of, you try to write from your own perspective and then you kind of, um, you, you get compared to other people like, oh, yeah. that sounds like blah, blah, blah. Uh, but I feel like when I was a teenager, I listened to a lot of Joni Mitchell. I listened to Ladies of the Canyon. I remember just like hearing that album and feeling like it was God's truth and just like loving the way she integrated like the piano licks and everything. Um, I really like Amanda Palmer also. I guess I discovered her, um, you know, when, when I started transitioning into pop and um, Leonard Cohen. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Good, good. I think uh, a lot of them speak to kind of the deeper aspects of, like Leonard Cohen, at least, you know, yeah. the deeper aspects of, of the two we've been discussing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So why don't we start to prepare to listen to a song? Okay, great. Let me um, get my so guitar. Get your yeah. guitar, yeah. Meanwhile, yeah, go ahead. And then meanwhile, just so for the listeners... This is Truth to Power Show on Radio for Brooklyn. Uh, you're listening to um, a talk with Samantha Echo. She's a singer-songwriter. Um, she's just preparing to uh, play a song. Um, you can find out more about her online. Uh, the, the, the video Nick's Mom is available, so you can just check that out. And, what, what song are you playing? I'm playing Nick's Mom. Nick's yeah. Mom? Okay, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I also have an EP out. It's called Ether Trash. You can and you can just find me on Spotify if you just if you just type in Samantha Echo. I'm pretty easy to find. All right, cool, cool. All right, cool. Um, let's see. 
nice to me Her smile is like a total eclipse of the sun Something that I didn't think I would ever see It's so hard to believe in anything Nick treats me like a kitchen fly on a hot day When all the women swarm at him He won't look at me until I land in his cup of tea It's so hard to believe I'm that annoying Someday I will open my eyes Wake up from my coma in my glass coffin See that everyone and everything I ever loved was a picture on my phone Walking through the Because I don't know any better La, 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 la Nick's mom is always interested in the things That I am allegedly doing with my life Even if the list is short and my smile is tense I don't understand what she sees in me Nick flew across the ocean cold When he was only 12 years old To interview the earthquake victims in Gujarat No one ever gets near the level he's at Someday I will open my eyes Wake up from my coma in my glass coffin See that everyone and everything I ever loved was a picture on my phone Walking through the desert you drool Loneliness and love star with the same letter I am walking toward a mirage Because I don't know any better She wants to see Somebody she wants to help If only she really could No Every time she looks for me I wish that I could find myself If only for her own good See that everyone and everything I ever loved 
is a picture on my phone. Walking through the desert, you drool. Loneliness and love star with the same letter. I am walking toward a mirage because I don't know any better. La 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 la. I wish Nick loved me like his mom does. Thank you, thank you, bravo, bravo, thank Yay. you. Those snaps. So, um, yeah, it was really good. I think people should definitely check out the video as I mentioned, and to enhance their appreciation for that song. And then, um, so next question, we're going to talk a little bit about. Successes and failures. Um, what are some successes that you think? What are some of the greatest successes that you've achieved and uh, that really you think about or you learn from? You learn because I think we can learn a lot from things that go right as well as things that go wrong. So we'll start with things go right and then we'll go into. Oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think just um, I think learning to be like to be funny on stage and to engage with an audience was something yeah. I discovered just a few years ago. I never knew that I could do that or that I was funny. Yeah. And I think that sort of helped me with like, with some of my issues with loneliness and feelings of isolation. Like it helped me to connect to people and um, just like sort of learning how to do my stage persona and stage banter and incorporating that with my songwriting. Yeah, I know. It seems like, uh, you know, we all have, we have just identifying the parts of ourselves that we want to share and creating that persona and creating that, identity yeah is, is very important for any artist i think yeah so um and what were some of the failures that uh that happened to you or some that you ever reflect on that didn't go the way things planned or mm-hmm. something that where you're like you learned a lot from that yeah um well i mean there have been many but yeah. like i guess um i mean i like i sort of flunked out of conservatory a long time ago like i sort of just um i kind of I dropped out. I used to go to Manhattan School of Music, music and I sort of, um, I, I kind of realized it wasn't for me the first year. I just, I was, I couldn't really get into the academic side of music. For me, it was more of an intuitive thing and I couldn't really wrap my mind around music theory. And I sort of hung on the next semester and then like I eventually just was doing so badly that I had to leave in the middle of my sophomore year. Uh. And I feel like I could have, and then I, I eventually transferred to Hunter after like a long time of delaying but I feel like I should have listened to my gut instinct and just like known where, you know, that I that I wasn't cut out for conservatory life and to, to you know, to transfer right away. Yeah. But I think it just sort of um, I I think I must have learned something from that. I'm not sure exactly what. <laughs> but like, yeah, that was definitely a failure. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Good. Thank you so much. Thank you. So now um, we're also coming through as far as like um, we were talking a little bit about uh, we, we've been talking a little bit about faith and we we're talking a little bit about your music practice. Um, so what else coming up for you as far as, uh, what you want to talk about or, uh, let's see, let's see, let me ask you another question. Um, what specific truths do you think act as a way for your empowerment? Like, like we, man, one of the themes of the show is about finding these specific truths or, uh, finding these the grounded truths that we think about. So what do you think is some of the things that bubble up for you as being like, uh, essential truths? Um, well, I think just the mystery of, of being alive yeah. and the, the vastness of the cosmos. Like for me, I find that really comforting. Like some people think about, you know, the unknown of like how expansive the universe is. But for me, that's proof of the divine. And it was really funny because I was even 
I was talking about that with my my friend who's an Orthodox Jew and she, you know, she has a very different faith from mine. But we were she was we were both saying that, like, basically, you know, physics and the existence of um of the cosmos and like how expansive they are kind of proves that there is something more out there than than the things we see. Yeah, I was thinking, yeah. just reading some articles about the, the idea of parallel universes and how yeah. that seems to be the new, the trend in the past few years. Mm. Um, yeah. You know, rather than thinking about, you know, exploring, uh, you know, the idea of um, there being other realities, you know, yeah. that, that, that the earth being like multiple, you mm-hmm. know, rather yeah. than. Yeah, I love that idea. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, so then uh, also about the, uh, music and such. So now you bring in uh, the fairy stuff. We were talking a little bit earlier about the fairy aspects the myth and that kind of uh, tradition. Have you started to find uh, res- what have you resonated with in that regard? Like what kind of fairy tales and such? Which fairy yeah, tales? like fairy yeah. tales. I mean, um, I think that all mythology is really beautiful. So I mean, the the story of Echo is is how I thought of my stage name. Yeah. Um. So Echo basically she was a she was a mountain nymph uh, in Greek mythology. And she was a singer and a, also a storyteller. And um, so one day, uh, so so uh, Zeus was philandering like he always does. He was cheating on his wife with some of the other nymphs. And Hera, his wife Hera, the queen of the gods, comes along, and she sees um, she sees Echo, and Echo distracts her from getting revenge on the other nymphs mm. um, that are committing committing adultery with her husband by telling her a story. And then she punishes Echo by taking away her voice. So that she can only repeat the ends of other people's sentences. Oh yeah. And so, sort of like for me, like that fairy tale resonated with me a lot. Um, I I like to sort of compare the story of Echo to the story of um, Ophelia and Lady of Shalott, and sort of see, I I feel like that um, that myth of sort of like a disempowered woman who loses her power of communication and who's kind of sidelined by other people around her is sort of one that gets recycled a lot, and it's sort of fascinating to see how it's played out over the years. Yeah, it's interesting to think about Greek mythology and and how uh, it resonates today, and and how uh, and it's also with fairy tales, how they all inform, how they form each other. Yeah, you know, and how you see a lot of resonance or echoes, you know, repeating themes. Yeah, between all the mythologies of of all traditions, you know, it's and my familiarity with Indian mythology and Greek mythology, and uh, even. Um, I'm not. I'm not as familiar. I mean, I, I took a class in um, Kabbalah, you mm-hmm. know, uh, but in college. But uh, you know, I, I found that when I took the class, many of the other people had were more versed in mm-hmm. the tradition, the stories than I was. So, I, but yeah. I mean, I did well in the class, but I found myself struggling a little bit to catch up with all the different stories and traditions that were in that, yeah, uh, in that tradition, the Jewish tradition. But um, Growing up, did you did you at least learn a little bit of those mythologies or the stories? Well, you know, I think like um, I think most Americans grew up with um with the Western fairy tales, which yeah. is also interesting. Like in the, my song "Nick's Mom," I use the metaphor of the glass coffin, yeah. which is from Snow White, as a metaphor for Arrested Development, for sort of like being in suspended animation. So that really resonated with me. Um, and like the the like sleep sleep is a really like sleep in relation to death is a really big theme in the um the western canon like sleeping beauty snow white you sort mm-hmm. of it's like these women who are sort of in this state of suspended animation and um sort of like death in life and it's sort of um it's been recycled in a lot of in a lot of the western tradition 
but it's also it also has roots in Greek mythology. Um, in terms of the Kabbalah, I don't I'm not as familiar with Kabbalah either, but um, yeah. what resonated me with me the most, you know, in terms of because there's always a Hebrew letter on every tarot card. I'm a little bit more familiar with tarot. Yeah. Um, is like gematria, the the idea of like each number symbolizing something, the the symbolism within numbers, because I know that's also a tradition that's in Chinese um, lore and in other other Eastern traditions, like it, it's kind of, it shares that with the Jewish tradition. And it's so interesting to, um, to see how that might've um, developed. Yeah. And also we're talking a little bit beforehand about astrology. Yeah. And uh, first we're talking a little bit, you know, the, the dichotomy between astronomy and astrology, you know, and we were talking a little bit about, you know, parallel universes and such. And then, uh, but astrology has its own kind of internal logic yeah. that uh, a lot of people tend to confuse or misplace or mm-hmm. misperceive that, you know, there's always mean going around that, oh, there's a 12th zodiac, or there's a 13th zodiac or something like yeah. that. Yeah. And all this kind of thing. And with that, there really has its own kind of life of its yeah. own, you know? Yeah. Tell us a little bit about your understanding of astrology. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So it's interesting. I sort of, I just kind of fell into it when I was 13. There's a really great website where you can teach yourself. It's called astro.com. I really recommend it. Yeah. Um, it's, it's so complex because I sort of, um, I'm a Pisces. My birthday was was like a few days ago. Yeah. And where I sort of, I found out that when I was 13, I found out that we're supposed to be flaky, lazy alcoholics. Uh-huh. <laughs> that like, that's what's, that's one of, those are the, um those are the really negative things associated with being a Pisces. Yeah. So I'm like, I need to investigate this further and figure out how to like get around that aspect of me. Um, Even though like, I didn't take it that seriously. But the interesting thing about, um, about astrology is that so there are 12 there are 12 signs they're all on a wheel together yeah and so when you say like what's your sign it's about your position on the wheel it's like a uh a wheel that represents the soul basically and every single sign has good good qualities and bad qualities mm-hmm. it's not it's not like nobody's all negative or all positive and for me that's this very um that's a really important truth about individuality and individual personalities so i sort of and the interesting thing is that, like, when people ask, you know, when's your birthday? What's your sign? That's only one aspect of the, of like, of who you are in terms of astrology. There's also the rising sign, which is the time of day you were born, and the um that that's how you present, how you appear to the world. And there's the moon sign, which is how you communicate. Um, and then there are like the placement. There basically everyone has like ten different personalities according mm. to astrology, and it's whether or not it's not a science. Like, I don't, I don't consider it a science. I consider it a mysticism. Yeah. And I wish more people would describe it that way. But the idea is that like it's sort of for me, it's not so much about the literal the literal truth of it, so to speak, as about the idea that we're all multifaceted and that we all have connections with each other. Yeah, I think it definitely I feel like the the energies that surround us are like we're in that we're in that soup, we're in that mix, we're in that matrix. And then the energies that surround us are influencing us and that we just acknowledge that that we're not coming out of nowhere we're coming right. out of a specific ethos or a specific you know area where the powerful energies are surrounding us and, and all of humans mm-hmm. and we're all kind of emerging out of that yeah yeah that's true that's true um you talked a little bit about some books that uh influenced you uh why we sleep particularly because you're talking a little bit about uh sleep and death and all this sleeping beauty kind of connecting that yeah um and you mentioned that a couple times as being a very pivotal work for you um in the pre-interview questions. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that work or any other work that, and, and connecting it down to the works that 
connect with you. Yeah. Yeah. So why we sleep is um, I'm about halfway through it. It's by Matthew Walker. And I sort of read it because Amanda Palmer recommended it. And so did Tom York. Uh-huh. Um, but it's about like the the health benefits of sleep, essentially. And kind of part of it's about how being underslept is destroying our world and causing all these health problems that we don't know about. And it can actually cause brain damage. So that's, that's that was my takeaway from it. Yeah. And it sort of under, helped me understand um, why I was so messed up in high school because I was getting like four hours of sleep a night because I was such an academic overachiever. And I started to develop all these physical and mental health issues. Mm. And so it's sort of it's given me a perspective on my own, you know, experience and sort of like just an understanding, which is comforting. And it's also I do think um, and it, it talks about more about like the scientific aspects of sleep and um. And how like how you can measure brainwaves and stuff, which I can't like quite understand or get into as much. But for me, it's just like. Like it affirms my faith that sleep is really important and that sleep has a spiritual value. Yeah, I think definitely we we understand that. Uh, you know, it's good. It's, it's very important to all the dreaming and all that. Yeah. You know, all these kind of things that we can get to going to REM sleep as well as the mystical aspects of like. Yeah. Exploring our psyche and kind of the, the idea of awaking and sleeping is like the process of living and dying, but mm. you have like a mini, mini death if you exactly, go every yeah. day. But then that's part of the process of living, you know, is just yeah. be able to submerge in that energy and yeah. connect with our core, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think the Tibetans also talk about rising and sleeping as being the practice for uh, understanding rebirth, you know? Mm. Yeah. And understanding kind of like how we submerge and then. The world is kind of dreamlike energy, mm-hmm. and and in death we finally um, reconnect with the that subtle energy, subtle energy that reemerges us. Yeah, yeah, that's what I like to believe. Yeah. yeah. So uh, one of the other questions has to do with um, uh, what is the personal political and what does truth to power mean to you? I guess we'll tackle that one. That was you right. said that was a hard one to answer. That was a really hard one for me. Yeah. yeah. So what do you think that means to you? And and some of the previous guests have. Talked about finding truth and playing mm-hmm. in a power and talking and not so much in the political sense, but you kind of spun it in your own way. So tell us what you think. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, for me, it's okay. So I'm I've never identified as a political person, really. Yeah. Um, I think I think for me, politics are hard to understand because I think they're sort of I have this theory of why they, things get so ugly. I think it's because politics are basically a bunch of different disciplines kind of smushed into one discipline. Mm. It's sort of like it combines from what I understand, it combines economics, performance, art, um, ethics, philosophy, and sometimes religion. And I think it becomes this very combustible, dangerous combination of elements that like, it's almost like being a Jack of all trades and master of none. Mm. And for me, like what I, what I connect to most in terms of that question and in terms of the personal is political is like the ethical aspect of, politics which is that like you know the idea that there are certain values that are um are going to take care of people and are going to take care of the world and sort of like have a a safety net for them and that there are certain that whatever you whatever is ethically right is something that you'll defend to the you know to the death like that's something that that's worth that's like worth defending and um worth being public about yeah, and I think that one thing to remember, at least in my perspective, is that ultimately everything boils down to community building and community yeah. community sharing, and um, you know the fact, the idea that you know we're trying to solve problems in 
New Yorkers are trying to solve problems in the Midwest, you're trying to yeah. solve problems in California or whatever, yeah. is not as you know salient for me as much mm. as like we're trying to solve problems where we are, of course, and we're trying to ground the that grounded truth that yeah. our lives matter and that we're, you know we want to build communities, we want to build communities, strong communities, and then ultimately, you know, as you're saying, you know, it's like the theories and such sometimes get a little confusing and yeah. Big, big dichotomy between theory and practice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, exactly. That's yeah. yeah, that's my problem with it overall. And I, I mean, the thing is, um, I you know I agree with exactly what you said about community building, and that sort of that relates to my overall theory about um, nationalism mm. and um, and identity politics in terms of like focusing on our separateness. Yeah, um, which is that like I don't th- I think nationalism is categorically dangerous. Like I think that. You know, it's great. Like, I think, like, you know, I mean, for, you know, I I think, like, it's great that, like, some places have changed Columbus Day to Indigenous Peoples Day. Like, I definitely support that. Um, But I think, like, nationalism in terms of, like, saying I'm American and so Americans are the best Mm. (laughs) and everybody should be like me and I'll put I'm putting my country first because I happen to be born there or any other country. I don't care, like, what, you know, like, what color the people are or, like, what religion they practice. Like, I think any country saying saying like to me what nationalism is like saying oh this is the country i happen to be part of and so it's better than everybody's and mm-hmm. let's be nationalists i think the only sort of nationalism i believe in is the nationalism of a community or a city mm-hmm. like i believe like i identify as i don't really identify as an american i mean i identify as an american because i have to i was born here and like i can't deny that but i identify as a new yorker first yeah yeah we talked a lot about new york yeah identification and being the the miles ahead of really any other place in the world it's true yeah and i think that's because of the fact that we're so diverse we're exactly so yeah open to different uh interpretations or so open to different uh modalities and we've kind of innovated from there i think real yeah. innovation comes from being open to the different perspectives you know? yeah. yeah yeah so speaking of community building ready for brooklyn is a uh community driven um you know uh independent listener supported radio so um, your support helps keep uh, us going, keeps the show going. Uh, Ready for Brooklyn mission, Ready for Brooklyn's mission is to provide a free and open platform to our community, promote media literacy, education, and free expression. This show relies primarily on donations from listeners like you. Every dollar helps us continue to stay on air. Support this show by pledging whatever you can. All contributions are tax deductible to all sense of the law. Please support with a monthly pledge or one-time donation at readyforbrooklyn.org/donate. Or you can go to RadioFooking.org slash Truth to Power and put sponsor this show. So it'll be really great if you could because then, um, you know, we're, we're hitting our uh, fifth anniversary. Uh, Radio for Brooklyn's Drive to Five campaign is underway. In May, RFB turns five years old. We need to raise $25,000. We continue bringing you commercial-free independent media radio for another five years. And we're only about 30% there, so we have a long way to go in just a couple of months. Uh, if you'd like to make a mo- small monthly donation to help us reach our goal, uh, the easiest way is to give is to text RFB Give Five, number five to four four two one, and you can make a pledge right on your phone. We also have some gig- gifts for those available. Um, giving available on our website, including a limited edition fifth anniversary T-shirt designed by the former Clash manager Cosmo Vinyl. If you'd like to get one of these great premiums, you can make a donation at RadioForBooking.org slash Drive to 5. If you can't afford to give, you can still let us know how much you love this show or, or Radio for Brooklyn. 
by calling the special voicemail at 718-673-8201. Leave some messages letting us know why you love RFB or to wish us a happy birthday. If you consent, your message may be played on air. Um, so, yeah, yeah. Thank you. We're here with Samantha Echo. This is the Truth to Power show. We're talking a little bit about fairies and <laughs> and we're talking a little bit about uh, her experiences with uh, performance. So let's talk a little bit more about your experience with performance and uh, how you've uh, some of the notable experiences in performance and uh, some of the reactions from the crowd. We talked a little bit about them at the top of the hour. Yeah. But, you know, we can kind of review, go a little deeper into uh, your experiences with performance and such. Yeah. Um, well, I, well, yeah, like I said, I sort of, I, you know, I, I studied opera as a kid and then I dropped out of conservatory, which was kind of humiliating for me. And then I sort of, then what happened was I, I actually, like, I, I felt pretty, like after doing that, like I felt really bummed out and really, you know, kind of lost in my career. And I actually, um, one of the things I did shortly after that was I auditioned for the music under New York program. Um, and that's actually the subway busking performance, like the official oh, yeah. licensed performance program. Um, so it's basically in New York. It's, you know, and I, I have all kinds of feelings about this, but um, it's legal to do an acoustic performance anywhere um, for any reason. But in order to use amplification or any electronic equipment, and I like to sing my opera stuff with backing tracks. Um, you need a license. So I auditioned for that. And basically you get, um, if you're part of the Music Under New York program, you get your own spot for three hours and nobody else can take it. It's like your spot. Um, So like being a street performer kind of um, made me feel a lot more free as a, as an artist. Cause like, you know, nobody's telling me what to do. It's just like a very experimental space where I can do whatever. And where I have this very immediate reaction um, from the crowd. Um, and then also just, you know, a few years ago, starting to perform live in um, in clubs, I discovered that I really like talking to the audience and doing, you know, banter in between my songs and that that's kind of healed a lot of the wounds that I had as a, you know, that I'd accumulated as a performer when I was younger. Yeah, that's great. And, uh, you know, I think it's important to, like, remember that, you know, um, this, you know, what you learned from performing in the subway or performing in the, in the mm-hmm. subway stations and all yeah. that and and uh, how that helped helped you grow i guess i'm hearing you know kind of because it's more experimental experimental format yeah. yeah so um yeah and then also about the the reaction of the crowds you're talking a little bit about that and then uh i guess they all they all you had some video of you actually mm-hmm. some video of you being interviewed about um the experience of you know, yeah. crowd. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. Oh, that was really fun. So, um, yeah, which video? Um, is that the CUNY TV one? I think CUNY TV. Yeah, yeah, that was really fun. I was so proud of that because that was sort of um. So uh, Barry Mitchell, who uh, who works at uh, World News Now on um, ABC News, he like he got in touch with me actually through the Subway Performance Program because I did a recording of the I did a performance of the World News Polka, which is the news theme. <laughs> For um the late night, the late night news at ABC mm-hmm. at three a.m. I think so. I met him, and I was also a student at Hunter at the time. And so he he was. It turned out like he was actually like the official interviewer for or one of the interviewers for like CUNY students as a way of promoting um the CUNY system. And so he interviewed me about um my experience as a CUNY student in conjunction with my experience as a street performer. And it was really fascinating. It was really fun. And I was really proud to like integrate those two sides of my identity. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. 
And tell us a little bit about how you integrated them. Or, um, yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know. Yeah. So I was I was a part time student at Hunter and I just I just really loved the environment there because the teacher like a lot of the professors were really funny and um, and really laid back. And they were all different age groups. It was a very diverse group of people. And so I was sort of I was kind of um, just I was going to school part time and I was also doing my street performance. And so it was kind of just about about that and how those two things uh, work together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. People should check it out. But now transition to another aspect as uh, we have about 10 more minutes left. Um, so let's just talk. Let's uh, kind of dovetail into a little bit of a ch- different topic. Um, I asked you the question, what essential truth do you believe do you, is uh, undervalued in society? And we were talking a little bit about uh, separating art from the artist and yeah. that kind of thing. And, right. And so tell us a little bit about what your, what your thoughts are on that. And and how we could navigate that difficult terrain, yeah. Yeah, I know, like, there's a big discussion. There's, like, a big... It's very controversial right now because people yeah. talk about cancel culture. That's, like, that's kind of the buzzword about yeah. about separating the art from the artist. And a lot of people think it's not possible. Like, if you have... You know, it's, let's say you really like someone's work and then you find out that they, as a person, did some terrible things and yeah. that, like, it's, like, some people think you can't be a fan of their work anymore. Yeah. And I, I disagree with that. Like, I actually think that you can... Um, like for example, like I, I don't know, I've been compared to Morrissey in terms of my lyric writing. And apparently he said a bunch of racist stuff that everybody hated and he's losing his mind. But like, I don't, I feel like I can still appreciate his lyrics because I feel like his lyrics come from the part of him that's good. Like, I feel yeah. like nobody's like, I, yeah, he's doing some crappy things right now, but like, and maybe I don't want to pay to support his art at this point, but I can still listen to him and enjoy like the part, his output that comes from the goodness in his soul. Like, and for me, like, I think we're getting into kind of a dangerous period now where like, yeah, I think like me too is really important for sure. Like in terms of, um, exposing all the corruption in Hollywood and like, and like putting people to justice, like it was absolutely necessary. And, um, and there is like, there, there, like, there's a big, the thing is like, I think we realized that there was like this volcanic eruption of all these, you know, these people who were doing, who were doing bad things and who were abusing their power and I think it was like a volcano, like it all of a sudden all the truth came out. But I think one of the results of that was that like there was no sense of like people who had like done things that were questionable but not serious crimes. Like there was like there was no sense of like black and white of, of the gray area mm. of that. Like some people there's there, I feel like there's sort of been an explosion of black and white thinking recently. Yeah. And it's sort of um, I'm just wondering how far it's going to go. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think that. um you know, we have, it's so easy to judge, especially when you have like one extreme case, uh, with clearly things are done wrong. And then when, when more cases start coming out, they connect them to that main one. Yeah. You know, they connect, they make connections that like, this is just like, right. You know, exactly. Whereas yeah. There's no reason to make that connection. You have yeah. to things separate and, you know, and be able to see the subtle gray areas or the subtle ways yeah. in which things are different. Yeah. I always say that we have to draw yin yang around the world. Yeah. Like, that's like my idea is that like there's nothing is pure black or pure white. You know, it's like everything has a little bit of the other in it and everything is inherently contradictory. But I think like, you know, I think it's a difficult time right now with, with that sort of thing, because I think that the more that we become a reactive culture, like the more that we like that we're just like. Like, oh, that's bad. That's bad. And we're just reacting with outrage to everything. The less we can actually show compassion and like see how we can fix the problems in like in a practical way. Mm, Definitely. Definitely. I think we should be able to see things as 
you know, where they're coming from, where the person's coming from, and and try to still uphold their their highest potential, and yet yeah. at the same time, the action is something that's wrong, right? That we're trying yeah. to cut off, and we're trying to show that the action is wrong, and right? It has right. Consequences as real yeah. consequences, but not to be like, you know, now they're evil and all this kind of thing. You yeah, know, rather see that. You know, at the same time, you know, some people are evil, yeah, people, but yeah, yeah. but not that many. Yeah, you know, it's just like yeah. a difference. Between, I mean, we're very, yeah. some people yeah. choose choose that path, right? But, right. Yeah. You know, when they're not actively choosing that path, right? Then, you know, we we understand that they're making mistakes. You know, um. Okay, so also I just want to announce that if you're listening to RP when you're in front of your computer, uh, visiting RP when you're in front of your computer, please consider downloading our free mobile apps. Right for an Android, uh, you know, you can look for that in the Play Stores. Uh, you can sign up for our monthly newsletter, latest news about new programming, our upcoming RFB events, at radiofrooklyn.org/newsletter. You can find out more information. You can also check out rfb.nyc/ttp or radiofrooklyn.org/shoot2power uh, to see our backlog of episodes um, and learn more about Shoot the Power Show. So now, as we have uh, about five more minutes uh, or ten more minutes, um, so why don't we start to do one more song and then? Uh, okay, sure. Yeah, yeah. Start winding up towards that, and then as we start to wind up towards our end. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Cool. Um. Do I have to keep the headphones? No. No. Okay. Quick, yeah. Like, yeah. I feel like I've been moving. Well, yeah. That's okay. Yeah. You don't have to keep the headphones. Yeah. yeah. That's okay. All right. All right. Cool. cool. This song is called Wednesday Guy. It also has a video. Wednesday guy is a nervous clown with a nerdy soul. He's got glasses thick as a window pane and his hands are cold he knows a lot of big words but he doesn't know any sentences he couldn't love me if he studied me oh no Wednesday guy makes me feel like I'm in New York again and he takes me back to my younger days before boys were men. He's got a smile that cuts through his face like a gash in his misery. It's a smile he gives to everyone, not just me. I see him on Wednesday night when the week is at But not quite all there A world behind his eyes Through a tiny crack That lies between the other days I fall through right away Wednesday guy says he's not a guy But a hologram a projection from all the pretty dreams of an ugly man He says the day that his father died Was like the day that his life began 
began He'll never love me like he hates that man Oh no He likes to starve himself Until he's frail and skinny as a marionette As thin as real men get Plenty of girls would like to bring him back to life But when he slouches in He's got no strings on him Wednesday guy is awake all night like the city is Decorating his walls with all his prescription slips I am a twig that he stumbled on With his clumsy little pigeon toes He'll never love me like he loves himself Oh no Thank you, thank you so, um, bravo, bravo, I love that. Thank you. Thank you. I should announce my show. I have yeah. a concert this Friday, actually. Yeah. Yeah, tell us a little bit about somewhere we can find oh. you. And yeah, that song's going to have an accordion, accordionist on it oh, on, cool. on Friday. It's going to be super fun. There's like a preview on my, um, my Instagram and my Facebook. Um, and so, yeah, so it's Friday night, this Friday night, um, 7.45 p.m., at the West End Lounge on 107th Street and West End Avenue, just west of Broadway. So just you take the one train to 103rd Street. Yeah. Oh. Um, and it's it's on my website, SamanthaEcho.com. And like me on Facebook, just Samantha Echo. Yeah. Cool, cool. And now I'll go into some uh, like lightning round questions as we start to mm-hmm. as we start to go out. Uh, favorite color? Um, Purple, but I have a few. Purple, silver, turquoise, <laughs> black. <laughs> Those uh, are my four. I'm torn uh, between those four. Those are my four favorite colors. Uh, yeah. Favorite TV show? Um, I like BoJack Horseman. Yeah? Yeah. Oh, cool. Uh, favorite movie? Oh, gosh. That's a hard one. Um, I, yeah, I liked, um, I liked Monkey Bone that came out along, like, in my childhood a long time ago. It's cool. very surreal. It's about a guy in a coma. Yeah. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. cool. <laughs> uh, Marvel or DC? What? Marvel or DC? Do you like comics? Ooh, um, DC, because the Sandman. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The Sandman's my favorite. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> uh, Batman or Superman? Ooh, Superman. Superman, yeah. 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 All right, cool, cool. All right, so now uh, let's see. Um, now that's all I wrote down. But, um, <laughs> yeah. Favorite TV show character? I would say Bojack Horseman. Yeah. 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 Um, let's see. What are their favorites or but what about least favorites? Least favorites. Things that, any, any things that you, any of those, least you like you have a repulsion from? Oh, repulsion. I mean, like, I don't know. I don't watch a lot of, honestly, I don't watch a lot of crime dramas, even if, even though I used one in my, in my video, like I tend to use horror stuff in my video, but I sort of have an aversion to like anything that's associated with police or the law yeah. <laughs> in, on TV. I don't really watch police, that's police like, shows. I hate those. Yeah. Uh, American Funniest Home Video t- style things. I don't like that. I, yeah, I, no. just a real serious like aversion. I don't like that. that stuff either. I hate it. They're hate not it. funny. They shouldn't be They're called not, America's. Yeah, they should be called dude. America's unfunniest they look, home video. They look yeah. so staged, and it's like, why? I know. Are you, why are no. you pretending like? Oh, also, I, yeah. yeah. Also, any reality TV, I'm not into. Oh yeah. Real yeah. House. No, I'm not like. No. no, not reality TV. 
right, yeah. Cool, cool. This is Truth the Power Show. Ready for Brooklyn? We're just gonna, I guess we'll have to. We have like we have three minutes. Three minutes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Any more lightning round questions? These are uh, fun. I'm I'm enjoying yeah, I these. Have yeah. Prepared more. No, I'm enjoy- but, I'm enjoying them. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah. Let's see. Uh. What? Uh. Huh. Usually I play a song out, but <laughs> I guess I, <laughs> yeah. I guess I, what what's you can a, play a song? Yeah. yeah, I play a song. Uh, we'll play it from. Uh, what's your favorite song? Oh my gosh, I don't know. I mean, I like um, I really like Father John Misty. He's like one of my favorite current um artists. Uh huh. Um, can you play Fun Times in Babylon? I feel like that's very Brooklyn. Like he's from um, I feel like he's from like um, he's from the South. He's from Maryland, but he's a very Brooklyn. Like I feel like Brooklynites like him. He might not appreciate me saying that. Like he hates uh-huh. being called a hipster, but I like him. I feel like he's like the new Leonard Cohen in a way. Like the torch has sort of been passed. Passed. Uh, what was the name of the song again? Fun Times in Babylon. Let's see if I can pull it up. Just play a little bit of it, but... Um, yeah, we might not have the whole time, yeah. but, well, you know. I feel like, yeah, I feel like Father John Misty really speaks his truth. Like he's like some people find him controversial, but but like he I feel like he sort of like doesn't care what anyone thinks. And he just gen- he's very genuine. That's what I like about him. Yeah. Not coming up. Oh, well. We have like one minute anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So tell us a bit more about your favorite artists. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's so many and I'm still, you know, I'm I'm still very influenced by musical theater as, as if people couldn't oh, yeah. tell from like listening yeah. to me sing. And like, it's sort of I have a pet peeve about people saying that when they hear my songs. But, you know, but it's my first, um, you know, it was my first love. And I still, you know, think about Judy Garland a lot. I saw the movie, the um, the biopic about her with Renee Zellweger. I, I recommend that also. That's a pretty good movie that came out this year. I felt like it was a very nuanced um, portrait, like it didn't portray her as like. A portrayer is tragic, but like a portrayer is somebody who was like trying and who was like who had to overcome a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Did you have you gone to Broadway recently? What? Have you gone to Broadway recently? Have you seen anything? Um, I actually got to sing at on Broadway at Waitress Karaoke with Sarah Bareilles. It was fun. Yeah. So like a couple months ago. So yeah, I did. I did. It was fun. Oh, cool. Yeah. All right. Um and we have like twenty more seconds. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. You Thank can find you. Out. And tell us your website again. SamanthaEcho.com. All right, cool. And people can yeah. find out more at Truth to Power Show, RadioFuga.org, slash Truth to Power Show, or go to VGRNathan.com.